You're listening to the Revenue Playbook. Join top sales reps and leaders as they share exactly what it takes to go from cold to close. 100% of your team is 100% plus. Like that is unheard of. So I just wanted to talk to you about what you're doing and what you think are the biggest like factors in that success. I'm sure you just didn't start out at 100%. So maybe just start with the backstory. Yeah, I think from a backstory standpoint, I'd go a few years and and a, a role before. And I think some of it is just how do we view individual contributors? I think where I would set the level and is the goal for them to be at 100%. And it seems like a stupid question. Like, of course, everybody wants all of their teams at 100%. But if that's the case, almost no plans are built with that in mind when you go from a, a budget standpoint. If you stand in front of a board and put together what the company is projecting to do, and then you break that down uh, to the individual rep, that's just not the reality of how those plans are built in real life. And I hate that, to be blunt. I think it's a bet against your people. I think it's a recipe for creating animosity between individual folks that actually make the difference in the business and the business itself as an entity where you know the business is succeeding and thriving and everybody is screaming from the rooftops, look how great a job we're doing. And if I'm an individual contributing rep, of which I have been for many years of my career, I say, well, I'm not winning and thriving. I'm at 97%. I'm at 103%. Am I really thriving um, in the way that all the, the conversation about the business is? So I think of it, the reason I level set there is because I believe you only get to everybody at 100% with appropriate goals. You know, there's lots of tactics and things and and stuff that we do every day to sort of get people to their goals. But if the goals aren't like real and attainable and aligned with what we're trying to achieve as an organization, we're basically saying to the reps, we know some of you are going to fail and some of you are going to succeed, but that's okay. Uh, We built the model with that in mind. And I just have a religious uh, disagreement with that model. It's like survival of the fittest. Like we expect only this percentage like of people will move on. And then I was doing some reading on how, yeah, you can scale that way, but it's like this, if you're just trying to scale by headcount and it's super inefficient because you're just, you're not developing those reps, you're just letting them fall off. But then when you actually develop reps or you give them the stepping stools for them to grow and for them to actually ramp and understand the business and just clear their time, it's a better model, more productive rather than more headcount. Yeah, it's just, it's just old school. You know, I've been around long enough. I, I worked for an insurance company that my bonus and success was based on how many people I brought on board that sold a single policy, not how successful they were. My bonus had nothing to do with how many of my people made a living or how good a living any of them made. It was only based on pure body volume. And it's really, it's what burned me out. You know, early in my career, I was, I was pretty young relative to the success I was having professionally. And I hated it because I felt like every day I was winning and my team was failing because they're like human beings with like real responsibilities and families and obligations. And I felt like it was a deceitful way um, to grow. It wasn't a good fit for me personally. I experienced it on the other side, you know, when I sort of started over in software and sort of started from SMB full cycle again, 
I experienced it the other way and I recognized right away the model was built, right? You, you know what your quota is and you know what the quota around you is and you can count. And then when you look at the quarterly meeting and they say, here's our number, it's like, well, that doesn't, that didn't hit right. I was like, that's not our number. Like our number is, you know, X dollars times 35 reps. That's pretty clear. Like, why isn't that the number? And so ultimately when I uh, became a VP of sales in, in my last role uh, you know, a few years ago, I just challenged the model and said, look, like if you give me the target, like let me figure out what it is with the team. And I faced a lot of pushback in a weird way. Uh, I was really surprised by it, quite frankly. But ultimately, you know, as a VP of sales, nobody cares about any of your stories. They just care that you hit the number for the board and for the executive team. So, uh, you know, I've been accountable for a number my whole career. So uh, ultimately, when you say I'll own the number, don't worry about how I get there. They sort of buy that and the team rose to the occasion. You know, even at that time, at that company, we, we never got to 100% of the team. But, but when I started, we were at about 25% of the team was at quota, just at quota, not over, not thriving, not growing, just like not worried about getting fired every day. Just like a terrible way to live. You just, you can't do your best work right? If every day you're thinking like, is this going to be the week or the month or the quarter I'm going to be put on a pip so they can replace me with somebody else, you know, hopefully that'll do the same thing, but a little bit better. I just hated that model. So I, I fight it everywhere, anywhere I can. Yeah, no, that's, that's a a cool story. It sounds like the beginning of a like sports movie where it's like every, (laughs) you know, you have all these uh, misfits or you have just people like maybe underperforming or like nobody believes in them or whatever. And uh, so when you come into that situation where everyone is like underperforming with whatever bars are set, what's your like first plan of attack? What did you do when you came into that environment? The first thing is why, like, why are we underperforming individually, not just collectively, right? Because as a team, the team wasn't really underperforming. The team overall was performing sort of on par with where the expectation was, because that's what they had been doing. It wasn't that the company was struggling, but sometimes those numbers can hide problems underneath when you just throw extra bodies to your earlier point, you just throw extra bodies at it. And if everybody is 58 or 65%, but there's enough people and the numbers work, then the numbers work. Ultimately, I actually reduced through attrition and uh, some replacement, not just the number of individual contributors and, and brought in support mechanisms around them. So sales engineering, sales operations, built an SDR team. So essentially took the same people uh, ironically, I raised the quota. I did not lower the quota. And we saw more than three times the number of people overachieve and hit President's Club with a higher quota. You know, obviously you need support, you need operations. And I, we built a playbook. We didn't really have a playbook. And, you know, there's sort of some sales, you know, motion and mechanisms that were put into place. But I think as a whole, it was just, you know, we supported the individual salespeople and treated them like they were a really important part of our business, not a replaceable coin-operated thing. That's great. So if I'm understanding it right, though, it was a bit of like a reorg, like maybe some people got laid off, but essentially like a reorg and that some people moved into RevOps or maybe even SDR type roles to build out a true like modern sales team. Yeah. And we didn't have any layoffs in the reorg. We did obviously, you know, like any sales team, we have a a bar of execution. So it wasn't, you know, puppy dogs and ice cream, you know, for all those years. 
but in the restructure, we actually reassigned folks. So we took some people and reassigned them into sales engineering roles and had them really focus only on supporting closers. We took two of the people that were in individual contributing sort of entry-level SMB roles and moved them into different marketing functions that they actually ended up being really successful in, that where they were really struggling in closing business. We took one person and we moved them over to product management. And ultimately, they became a product manager. It took a few years, but it started in project management and then ultimately a junior product manager. And we just took people that weren't succeeding. Oh, we, an onboarding coordinator. We created an onboarding coordinator that was a, a failing rep. You know, people that hit, don't hit quota that are trying hard aren't bad people. A lot of times, you know, especially when you, when you have an entry-level sales team, they're not in the right role. And honestly, that's on leadership to find the right role and to empower folks, not on an individual that maybe this is their first real job or their second real job. And they really don't know what they want to do with their career path. You know, I feel like every day I'm trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So to expect somebody who's right out of school and really never had sort of a be here every single day and here are your KPIs and here's my expectation. It's really scary. I mean, I, I'm not so far removed. That I don't remember that feeling of, I really want to succeed. I really want to win. I want the people around me to know that I'm contributing all of the, nobody wants to fail. So I think that's incumbent on leadership to sort of put people in the right places to give them the opportunity to succeed. It's the individual person's responsibility to wake up and fight every day. Like you can't make somebody care, but if they're waking up and fighting and they're losing and you don't help, I don't know, you're in the wrong spot if you're a leader. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a great point is like still having that accountability, but on the leadership and owning the team, right? Or like owning whatever happens at the individual level on the team, that being really important. So I think that's a pretty modern approach and that not a lot of, I think sales leaders would look at that and be like, this is a marketer, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like this person would do really well in marketing or this person do well in project management and uh, product right. management because you know I mean? you have to selfish. know those goals well enough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, selfishly though, like it's not that like I think of myself like it was just like doing holier than thou work. Selfishly, like sales teams are more successful with really good product people around them and really good marketers around them and really good onboarding people. And so, like selfishly, it's hard to find really good people like that just are going to show up and fight like hell when no one's looking. It's really difficult. Uh, and it's even harder to hold on to them. So uh, w- when you have those people, I, I just think, you, you know, selfishly, you do yourself a disservice for your organization if you don't like op- turn every stone over to try to find a spot. If you've got somebody who just you recognize right away, like this is a really hardworking, smart, articulate person that's not succeeding in this role, you know, the the old school, I I don't know, like just to throw them out because, you know, of whatever they're being measured on is wrong, which is literally how I view it. They're just being measured on the wrong thing. Then that's definitely to me, a weakness of the organization, not just that individual leader, but the leadership group as a whole that should take, you know, recruiting and retaining top talent as a top priority. I don't know what's more important than that. If you're in a leadership function. Yeah, no, that's like a very um, 
I don't know, like C-suite, like top, like leadership, like perspective, you know, when it's your company and, or when you're thinking like a CEO, basically, right? Like when you're thinking like a founder of like, you know how much time it takes to recruit that talent or to just find, yeah, people that care is what it comes down to, right? And so then just putting them, yeah, in a, in a role that redefines um, success, like in a way that works for that person, right? And so that's, I don't know, I, I love that. And uh, so another thing I want to make sure that I touch on is forecasting. So it seemed like this is an important piece of this too, is that you got in RevOps people, um, you got um, maybe just operations set up in general for the sales team, and then we're able to look at the data, I'm sure, to kind of like change quotas, right? Uh, to, to forecast like more accurately. So tell me how how you did that and ended up ended up landing on a higher quota that was more attainable. Yeah, I think uh, ultimately, you know, uh, if you can't measure it and repeat it, you know, it's it's lucky. And so, um, uh, you know, we looked at, you know, what we were winning, we, we measure everything, right? And so we're talking about win rates and new opportunities created, and you sort of work backwards on where we need to be. Um, and then it's easy enough, right? Then you just break out territory. So because the the team actually got smaller from an IC standpoint, the territories got much larger. So uh, I've never worked with a sales team that individually they think their territory is too big before. Um, so uh, when we when we made territories larger, that comes with you know extended responsibility and responsibility in the IC role is quota. And so. Um, but you know, when you have big quota, you have bigger dollars, and you have bigger dollars, and you keep better people. Um, so that's that's sort of the the way um, I internally sold, you know, higher expectations. Is look, we're going to be a high performing team, and it, it might not be for everybody. And we proved it by moving people into other spots, and said, but if you want to be on a high performing team and individually high performing player, then here's what that means. Uh, here's what it'll mean ultimately. Obviously, you know. Uh, most salespeople do care about how their comp plan is built and how it's structured. Um, but at the same time, you know, expectations are what they are and they have to be really clear. I also find like when, when everybody's expectation is at a higher level, you know, players hold other players accountable. You don't always need the coach to come in and say, Hey, you're not doing the stuff you're supposed to do. Um, you know, that feels a lot more like uh, being reprimanded than, being coached up. So I find that when the group overall has a high level of expectation for each other, you just don't do a lot of that stuff. Nice. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's pretty interesting about the territories, but it makes a lot of sense of um, you're raising the quota, but you're also raising your opportunities, right? And like, I, I would assume with that, you get more leads, right? Or definitely more potential market <laughs> to, to penetrate. So, um, so that, that all makes sense to me. And then um, at, at, in your role now, are you a, are you a sales leader now? Like in your yeah. current role? And that, and that, in that current role, you're doing the, um, like hundred percent of people are at a hundred percent quota. Okay. And so what, what tools are you using at that company? Uh, we're using uh, HubSpot mm -hmm. for lots of different things. Um, That's a lot. What's that? It, is, it does a lot. It, it does. It, it does a little of a lot, uh, but it does do a lot. And uh, so we're using that. We're using uh, the Google suite primarily. Um, using Zoom Info, uh, I think 
I think that's it right now. Nice. Um, okay. So what, what do you think like takes up the majority of uh, an individual contributor sales reps time? Uh, if it's not selling, like what are they doing when they're not selling? Uh, I think there's a lot of time. Well, right now, uh, the way we're, we're living today is a lot of time identifying who we should be selling to. Uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of time. Uh, you know, the team is much smaller uh, and we, it's a truly international presence. We're in, you know, uh, a few dozen countries. So because of that, the territory is massive, uh, which everybody thinks is, is really great when you're in IC, but actually uh, I found it's a lot more distracting and uh, you know, people are a lot more successful when there's focus. And so uh, one of the great strengths is also can be our, our greatest weakness, which is just so much opportunity and so much addressable market, uh, which sounds silly and counterintuitive, but I really do believe that it's hard to focus when everything is the focus. Um, so I think a lot of time is spent right now that when we're not selling, it is just um, identifying who is the the most appropriate people or persons to be selling to. Nice. Um, okay. So something like meetings, admin work, all of that, like everything else that just like eats up a salesperson's time and usually the stuff that they hate, like, is, is there anything specific that you guys do to, um, like protect, protect their time or like making sure that they're doing high value activities, like identifying ops and actually selling? Yeah, I think uh, meetings, uh, I, I hate them. And so that, that helps everybody else. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we, we do, you know, we do 25 minute one-on-ones. We don't do our one-on-ones. We do them every week. Uh, we connect as a team uh, once a week. Uh, and that's really it. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of internal conversations, you know, because uh, of our international presence, we, we operate in, I think, four different or five different time zones. Uh, and so because of that, it sort of fo- forces us to work through uh, asynchronous uh, means as opposed to, you know, more everybody in a Zoom room and let's all uh, talk about stuff that only applies to one or two people here. Um, so there's just not, it just, we're forced not to do that because of the nature of, uh, of where we're based which is, you know, a positive out of what can be a tough situation to work remotely. Um, it's pretty isolating for everybody. I, you know, I think especially for folks that are, that sort of get their energy from other people, like tend to be uh, sales folks. Um, so, um, but I think as a positive, it, it gets less of 10 people in a room, you know, talking about nothing, just uh, being talked at. Yeah. Uh, talking about work. Basically. Yeah. Talking about work. Yes, my work. favorite. Here's what yeah. we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. You know what else yeah. we should do? Yeah. Yeah. Let's think. Let's let's uh, plan later to plan more on this. On what we're yeah. gonna do. We have a strategic oh. discussion to talk about that strategic planning. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah. Strategic is the key word, though. That's, <laughs> that's how you know it's good. Um, okay. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense too. We're obviously pretty big on that as well. Um, but async meetings, like, how do you? Um, how do you effect- effectively do that with a sales team? So, um, for instance, like, do you still have one-on-ones with with managers, like um, talking through pipeline, um, and then just handoffs in general? Like, do those happen in Slack? Do those happen in email? Um, just process in general. Like, how do you how do you keep process in like an async world? Yeah, I think the the first thing is we definitely have one-on-ones with everybody, but but not for pipeline. I think uh, you know the. 
if the CRM's up to date, uh, you know, there shouldn't be a whole lot to talk about from a pipeline standpoint, right? You can, uh, if you have sales stages and they're built and they're purposeful and they're kept up to date at every level, um, you don't really have to have, in my, in my view, like that often a, hey, let's just read through your opportunities and tell me what you already wrote down in your CRM. It's a waste of time. Every rep hates doing it. Um, any manager worth their value hates doing it. Um, so we, we just don't do a lot of that. Um, you know, if there's a deal breakdown, that's a little bit different. We certainly will tackle a deal breakdown in a one-on-one. Uh, but most of the one-on-one is about, you know, things that are getting in the way. So sometimes that's in a deal. Sometimes that's internal process. That's just like, hey, I need to get something approved or an answer for something or, uh, you know, a product conversation or, or question. Um, you know, I, that's mostly where the focus is in our one-on-ones. It's just removing yeah. roadblocks. Yeah, no, uh, the, the thing that stood out on this is like, yeah, if the CRM is up to date, like there's no need to, to talk pipeline, right? And so um, what I found in talking to other organizations is that they just like struggle to just have that process though, where like it's it's ex- expected slash um, worth their time, like to, to, to really update the CRM, right? And so um, how, how have you like set that process like in your organization? Uh, I think... The, the last thing you said is the reason why it fails all the time is because the, if, if the reps feel that way, they're right. <laughs> if, if they feel like it's not worth their time, they're right. Now, the reason is self-fulfilling prophecy, in my view. One, the manager still asks them about every single deal. And then why am I putting it in there if the manager is going to ask me exactly the same information that they're putting in there? I'm going to stop putting it in there because it doesn't make any difference. A waste of my time. Then we ask them uh, deal one or deal lost reasons or competitor analysis, and then no one does anything with that information. Or if they do, we don't communicate it to the salespeople that we're doing anything with the information. So then they say, why am I going to continue to spend all this time putting in detailed deal one or deal lost reasons when nobody cares and none, none of it impacts me? We ask them for how many people are in the organization and then the mapping, but then nobody helps them or coaches them through account mapping. We just count the contacts and tell them if they did it right or not. So it's pure homework. And from that standpoint, they're 100% right. They should push back 100% on the CRM because it's a waste of time. And then it's just a refresh dashboard management. It's not leadership or coaching. So I think ultimately it comes down to you know, using the CRM, as stupid as that sounds, uh, I've just seen this time and time again, where we like know we're supposed to have it. And we know it's supposed to be complete. But then we still don't trust it because we all, you know, in our in our executive room, all go, well, the CRM's not very good. So we can't really use it. You know, Tyler, what do you really think? And then I give some anecdotal answer. And then everyone in the room goes, oh, okay, well, he's the sales leader. So he probably knows. Um, and then why should they use the CRM? They're right. Um, so I think ultimately it comes down to like real transparency as, as much as I hate to say that word, it's, it's so overused, but like really like, here's what I'm going to do with this field. And the reason I'm asking you guys to fill out this field is because I want to get some information about X to team Y to achieve Z. And if you can't have that direct conversation, there's too many fields. And if there's too many fields then none of them matter. Uh, if, if the sales leader isn't the gatekeeper for field creation, then every department will add 35 fields each. And from a rep standpoint, it, it just looks like homework and no good salespeople were good at homework. 
Yeah, no, I, I loved that. That was like a, a beautiful rant. Um, <laughs> the, this this is to me like the biggest, uh, it, it annoys me. So it's like everybody who is in sales leadership forgot what it was like when they had to pick up the phone and call clients to get business, like the, the actual mechanics of the job, because we get so in love with ourselves running dashboard reports. And it's like, we forgot what it was like when you have to prioritize. And so we're asking people, hey, stop making those calls and fill out this form. No why, no like what's in it for you. And then we're telling our salespeople to say, hey, don't just sell features, sell solutions, you know, dig for the pain and then solve the problem. And we just don't do it ourselves. It is the weirdest dynamic between sales leadership and, and reps that I just, I don't understand when people stop solution selling, like when does that stop internally? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we talk about this. I won't go on too much of a tangent, but we talk about this a lot because uh, basically like it comes down to like sales leadership and then sales reps are measured on different things. Basically like they care about different things. And then, so there's like a misalignment. Um, yeah. Even, even if you were just a sales rep and then you're like promoted, like all of a sudden, like it was like this mind shift of like, okay, like I need these, like, yeah, these, this beautiful forecasting and these dashboards and like good data. And I need to be able to manage up and like present that data, you know? And so to get that, like I need everyone to be doing the CRM stuff. Um, and I need more data. So I need more fields. And anyways, um, but then the reps are just like, yeah, I just need to hit my quota and make commission. Right. And so, um, and so, so then, yeah, it can get to a point where it's like the whole point of this, like is to make money and like, we're not making money because we're just recording. It's like that, the meetings about meetings, right? <laughs> like it's just, we're recording how much money we didn't make <laughs> just, just now. Um, so anyways, so that, that's like the thing uh, that I found like in, in researching this and everything, but um, yeah, before, yeah, I, think, <laughs> before I, think, I forget, I got, sorry. About, oh, sorry. I was going to say, you talk about managing up, but like, that's not managing up. That's responding to what is being asked of us, right? Like managing up is reminding the people that are asking for those reports. that like, Hey, like at the end of the day, here's the business we're in. And then you have to deliver on the business that you're in. Right. So like it, there is, you know, there is an art and a science. It's not just art, but you have to deliver obviously, but at the same time, like, what are you really asking for? Right. Like, do, do you want it to just be pretty? Like I can give you a bunch of garbage that's pretty or like, here's the real information uh, that's tangible and tactical from an operation standpoint. And that's why it's this way. But I also find that when you just communicate that message on why the rep cares that whoever the sales leader is reporting to, that it looks good, how it impacts that rep directly I find, excuse me, people are much more willing to do the extra stuff if they see like, okay, here's how the work I'm doing matters in the grand scheme of things. So that on Tuesday at 1045, when I'm doing all the stuff I have to do to hit my number, here's how that matters in the scope of the organization, not just, uh, I just have to hit my target so I don't get fired or so I get a big bonus, whichever, whichever one of those two things, I, I think both of them are short-sighted whether it's the positive or the negative, as opposed to like the piece that we all play in the, the overall puzzle. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, before, okay. So before I forget, you're talking about fields and having too many of them. So is there a right amount of fields to have, or how do you think about, how do you think about that? Yeah. I don't know if I think about it like uh, in a right amount so much as the reps will let you know uh, when it's, you know, uh, 
when it feels overwhelmed, but I, I do think there has to be a, uh, you have to build trust and trust is earned over time and really hard. You know, it's, it's earned in tiny spots and lost in massive gaps. So, you know, when I say they'll, they'll let you know, when, when you first start this, like, here's why the CRM matters conversation, it's a totally different conversation you have than, you know, a year in or nine months into everybody sort of buys in why the CRM matters. Then you can say, look, okay, I'm willing to do this um, because here's what you're going to get from it. But ultimately, like if you can't map each one of those, that's when there's too many. So if there aren't direct correlations of actions being taken that a rep sees um, you know, not maybe not every week or every day, people have different responsibilities, but it, it, whether it's in a monthly or a quarterly conversation, whether it's in a meeting or even just a shared deck that says like, hey, here's here's the information that you are providing to me. Then if, and if we can't deliver that, then there's too many fields. And then we need to take the fields out. And it's, it's always easy to add them. And for some reason, it's very difficult to take them away. Um, but I, the, there's no holy field for me not just Holyfield, but no, there's no, like nothing is sacred about our, the CRM, right? Like if we're not using it and it's not making us more successful, then let's cut the field and replace it with something that is more impactful. Uh, I think that's one of the, one of the problems folks get into is they add them all the time, but they never take them away. So there just continues to grow because everybody wants more data, but more data uh, doesn't really matter if you don't do anything with it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. And I, what, what I was thinking about as you were talking was, yeah, what, what do you do with that data? Uh, what's like the best way to handle that data? And I, uh, I'm guessing that's like in part what your operations team or like RevOps person was doing. And so um, were they able to kind of uh, create like a, um, a, a dashboard specifically for the sales team? Did you guys go over like data visualizations, like in meetings, like tell me about how you use the, the sales data? Yeah, I think uh, it's important to do it in two ways. I think we we did it once, you know, as a, as a team overall, um, and and we do that now uh, as a team uh, once a month of like here's all the teams' information or how everybody's doing, and I think that's helpful from from you know that the puzzle piece uh, analogy I used. But I think as important as that is the individual information, because I think. Uh, it's important for people to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. But I also uh, believe in the like natural desire to improve that pretty much like all people have that just like the natural feeling of like, I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. And it's, it's really difficult to do that if you don't measure individual metrics. So uh, I'm just a big fan of individual win rates as opposed to team win rates. Team win rates are helpful, but individual win rates are important empowering because you, you, you see like, here's a thing that I'm doing. And if I just change like this one thing, like it would change my business. And if I think of, you know, any a good sales rep thinks about their sort of uh, territory and quote as, as sort of a micro business. And so if they just change this little thing and win rate's a lot easier and more fun to work on than make more calls, right? Like it's easy. Every manager ever make more calls. Nobody wants to hear that. It's not helpful right? It's not, it's not helpful. It's top down, um, you know, protect yourself management as opposed to coaching somebody else management. Uh, Cause it's harder, right? It's easier to tell someone just go do more than it is to tell someone like, okay, what you're doing is enough. 
but here's a way to do it in a more effective way or a more successful way. That's hard. Like that's real coaching and real like digging into what they're doing. You have to join people on calls and you have to show up for folks uh, for them, not just for you and not in a, are you doing it wrong teacher standpoint? Like in a, I'm here with you together and I want to use whatever it is that I know that maybe I can help so that next time you need me less and you can do the same thing without me or that I'll be here again, but I'll work on something different, you know, for folks that have been doing it for longer. You know, uh, I was just having a conversation with a rep last week about, uh, man, I, uh, I wish, you know, that I could, you know, do, uh, it was a discovery is what we we're talking about. I wish I did this discovery in the same way. I'm just not there. And I was like, look, like when you've done, a hundred discovery calls, you have a different level of experience than if you've done 10,000 discovery calls. There's no like silver bullet. I know that, you know, it's like really popular. I could just throw on like 10 best discovery questions and get a thousand likes on it. But like ultimately in a real discovery call, it's a conversation. And so that like the more times you've done that, there's just an inherent advantage to hear things that aren't heard on your fifth discovery call. You just don't hear them. Um, so some of that is just like good old fashioned, like active coaching. There's just, I, I just haven't found a shortcut for engagement. Yeah, no, the, the main thing that um, I was thinking about as you're we talking was like that it's, it's easier to get from like, you know, even one to three than it is from like zero to one. Right. And like what you're saying is like, it's easy to, to tell people like, yeah, just keep making cold, cold calls, you know, but that's like, okay, you're like telling someone to start at the very beginning of like the sales cycle, like just like start like a bunch of zeros, like do a bunch of zeros today until you get like one, one <laughs> that you can start. Doesn't that feel good? That. Isn't that fun? Don't you love <laughs> tech sales? Isn't it? Yeah, everybody, <laughs> everybody loves rejection. So like that's, oh, that's yeah, probably going to be the thing that. that just uh, get more, right? Every no gets you closer to a yes. Just get more rejection. That's how we help people. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and like, yeah, ignore the, and, but it is funny. Cause this is, this is not just a sales thing. This is like a, a people thing of like, just, we, we like get distracted and sometimes like, don't like to focus on finishing the projects that we have, but like in starting, there's something fun about, I think, I don't know if fun is the right word for sales, but there's something interesting about like starting new projects or just thinking that the, like the next lead is going to be better or the next opportunity is going to be easier. Um, like rather than just like, yeah, doing those strategic, like little like adjustments and things like to get the ones that are farther along, like all the way through, right. Like all the way um, across the line and stuff. And uh, so I think that's a, a really good point um, is becoming like more of a strategic advisor than like that old school, like, motivator type, uh, like sales leader. And so that's what I'm hearing from it. Is that, uh, is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, there's a time for like a good old fashioned coach talk, you know, in the locker room, but this, there's not a lot of those times. Like, you, you know, you, you use those up so many times and I don't care how motivational you think you are. Like, especially if you have a, a more senior team, like you smell that immediately of like, okay, is this, this is what I'm getting. Like, this is going to be our relationship. Like I'm going to show up and fight and try my best. And then you're going to say, go get them tiger. Like that's are going to be our dynamic. And you recognize that immediately uh, from, from leadership of, are you, you know, do you want me to invite you to calls or do you not? And it's real quick when people recognize, Hey, there's always a reason why people can't join a call 
or people can't jump into a deal or people can't break down why I consistently lose deals at stage four. What, what is like, why is that? Why am I losing them more than other people on the team in this particular time? And those are hard, like they're hard. Those aren't easy problems. Um, and people recognize when folks are willing to be open of like, hey, let's just dig into it and try and find the solution as opposed to like, oh, don't worry, it'll work out. And we just, we need more in stage four. And then ultimately we'll just get more deals. Um, you know, people are smart. They know when you care and when you're going to invest in them and when it's lip service and coach speak. This goes back to the beginning, but like, why, like what, what are like the number one things that, that teams can do if we do kind of like a recap um, to change that? Uh, I think the, the first thing is they have to care about that number. You know, I, I don't say that cavalierly. I, I just don't think that many organizations care about that number. They don't measure to it. Um, you know, I think you have to bonus leaders on the success of their team, not just the achievement of a target. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, that's how you that's how you change behavior, right? Is you change what we're measuring, and if we measure the success of the organization, which is the people, if we see if we measure the success of the organization, then you see an impact or a push there. But if we don't, then it's, that statistic doesn't surprise me. You just who measures that? People don't. So. They measure the the top line outcome, not the individual growth of the individuals. Um, it's more work, you know. It's harder, and so if it doesn't matter, then it's much easier to not even have that as a KPI. But I think honestly, like it's as simple as build a KPI for individual team member success for a leader, and watch the leader's behavior shift. I think for sales, maybe like the hardest transition, just because you're in such a like IC role, like before that, like it's such, it's, um, it's such a like own your number, like do your own thing, like do whatever works, like very isolated. Um, and so when you go into like the, the opposite of that, of like now, like what you do, like your individual contribution doesn't so much matter. It's about like, yeah, making everyone, everyone else successful, like equally successful, and that coaching part of it. And I've seen it, I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. Right. One company that I was at our best like relationship manager was well above, but then was later in more of a management role and probably wasn't his strong suit because he was used to like being in, in the trenches and like being scrappy and was very good with people. But that coaching mindset, um, what he did, I don't think he always knew. I think you get to a point where it's like, I don't even know like what I'm doing. It's just like what I do works. So it's easier for him to just do it than to train someone to do it. I think that's like the the hard thing when you're in that role. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks are chasing, you know, check boxes and feel like the thing that means successful is I become a manager and a leader. And I just don't think it's for everybody. And it's not because, you know, people are better or worse or whatever. I, I've uh, folks that work for me today that have worked for me in the past, friends of mine in the in the sales world that are lifetime ICs and super happy about it, that they're uh, having plenty of success uh, professionally and financially, and it's the better spot. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, especially new reps uh, sometimes fall into this trap of like, okay, when I'm good here, then I can get to there as if there is the target and the goal. And it's not for everyone. It's a totally different job to your point of that transition. It's a completely different job uh, leading a group of salespeople or selling. It, you know, there's some similarities, 
but it's a completely different every day. The things you do are different. The things that you should care about are different. Where you spend your time is different. So um, completely, it's a, it's a difficult transition because I think it's one a lot of people shouldn't make, uh, quite frankly. And there are some people that are really great leaders that aren't necessarily really good salespeople. Uh, you know, I, I worked for a COO uh, that, you know, had led sales groups, but never really held an individual quota. But from like the, to your point of the get in front of a group and rah-rah, uh, fantastic, you know, very good. Yeah, no, this is, this is fascinating. I could talk about this all day. We have a blog that we did way back when, before my time, that's specifically about this topic. That's about why individual contributors or sales reps don't always make the best managers. And there's a book that Rand Fishkin wrote that Lost and Founder. He has like this whole chapter that's specifically about the data behind what makes a good manager. Part of his point was that you'd be surprised that there are some people that weren't very great individual contributors, but then excelled in management and vice versa. Yeah. And we see it in sports all the time, right? Like great players like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Isaiah Thomas were all terrible coaches, but like, it doesn't mean they weren't like the, some of the greatest players of all time playing basketball, but their ability to make that trade, it's a totally different job. I think of it very similarly in any workplace. What I would think with all of those people is they have like these this crazy talent. So they've just always been able to do stuff and not to say that they haven't like worked or tried, but I think to some degree, you're like, just do it. Just done. Like, why can't you, know you do that? Like I right. do that. Why can't you just do that? Like, right. I do. like it's just like a natural ability, like where you have this kind of blind spot of uh, for other people of like, Oh, it's like not that easy. So I think that is one of the hardest parts of becoming a manager. I did. I did learn a ton. So really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Awesome. It was, it was my pleasure. I'm glad we got a chance to connect. It's always, uh, always good to make new connections. Yeah. Go Blazers. <laughs> all right. Dubs all day. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Revenue Playbook. For more sales playbooks, head over to Dooley.ai.